how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're bottom. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. As far back as he can remember, Aaron Augenblick has been obsessed with cartoons and animation. As he pursued this passion, he quickly decided to open his own studio at the age of 22 back in 1999. He's best known for working on Daria, Ugly Americans, The Jellies, Death Hacks, and The Adventures of Drunky, which stars the voice talents of Sam Rockwell, Jeffrey Tambor, Steve Coogan, and Nina Arianda, along with a new series called Teenage Euthanasia. In this interview, Aaron talks about different animation styles based on comedy and visual language, his appreciation for visual descriptions in screenplays, live action versus animation storylines, his thoughts on creativity within corporations, and secrets to a network pitch. I uh, uh, have always drawn uh, cartoons my whole life, as far back as I could remember, and um, I um, really never even had to make, I was lucky enough that I never really had to even make a decision about what I was going to do. I just sort of always drew as long as I could remember. And uh, my, my mom tells stories about when I was uh, a little kid, I would uh, go see animated movies, probably like Disney movies or, uh, you know, early, early uh, animated cartoons. And I would uh, like trace the cartoons in the air as I was watching it. She's even when I was like really little, I would do that. So I just sort of always had that instinct. So I've always done animation uh, to some degree. When I was a kid, I was doing like little claymations and, you know, with like the home camera. And like I even um, early on, uh, my dad is a worked for Hillett Packard. He was always a computer guy. And he, uh, he got me like a computer at a very young age. I had like an Apple IIe. So I was even starting to do early computer animation uh, when I was really young. So um, animation's always been a, a part of my life. And um, I think the big uh, question was, you know, starting my studio was sort of the biggest decision. And that was, you know, I, I, I went to uh, SVA in New York City, uh, 
for uh, school and I studied animation. There was an animation major. And uh, shortly after I worked for MTV, I'm sorry, shortly after SVA, I went to work for MTV uh, and I worked on a show called Daria there. Mm -hmm. And I worked there for a couple of years. And um, I think that was the big crossroads of my life more than ever, like having to consider like what what field do I want to go into? Because I knew I always knew I wanted to do something with cartooning and something with animation, but it was the point at which I had to decide between okay, do I want to continue working uh, for you know companies and corporations and pr probably doing pretty well financially doing so, um, you know, and, or did I want to try you know the much more um, uh, unpredictable and scary path, which was to start my own studio, you know, and I was only. I think I was about 22 when I started my animation studio. So I was very young, very, very ignorant of uh, anything related to business. <laughs> uh, so I really just always, uh, when I opened my studio, I was for creative reasons. I just wanted a space where I could do things independently, um, you know, do animation, draw animation in the way that I like to see it drawn, mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily the way it was being made in companies at that time. It was like the late 90s. And uh, I really wanted to just do things, in, you know, in a more creative, independent fashion. So I just felt like the only way to do that was to try doing it on my own. So that was, um, so I only worked for MTV for a couple of years. So um, I opened my studio in 1999. Um, and, uh, you know, here in Brooklyn. And, uh, we're, you know, we've been here, we've literally been in this neighborhood, uh, ever since. And, uh, that, that was probably the biggest decision I had to make. How did, so I interview a lot of screenwriters and a lot of people will write for a showrunner and mimic someone else's voice. And then eventually they come out and they maybe write their own thing. Did you experience something similar in animation? Like what's it like drawing for other people versus mm. the style you eventually created for yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think um, MTV definitely taught me to be uh, adaptable to uh, other styles, you know, even more so to be adaptable to the style that befits the storytelling. And I think that's that's crucial um, because uh, one animation style, whether it's a look, whether it's a kind of movement, whether it's kind of acting, uh, will work for one type of story or one type of comedy and really not work for another, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, what, you know, it, it, you know, South Park, I think is extremely successful. Uh, one of the things people don't talk about is, is the visual language that they've created, right? It's like, obviously, you know, think of South Park, you think of this like really crazy, you know, you know, edgy, dirty, you know, violent humor, but I think the hidden, uh, the, 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 the secret weapon that they have is this style they have, which looks like children's construction paper cutouts, right? So it inherently feels friendly to you because it's something you've experienced as a kid and it feels like the kind of paper cutouts you would see as a kid and the way they kind of bop around like this, you know, it feels very childish paired with this extremely intellectual, uh, extremely nihilistic material. It, it, it works together really nicely, right? But would... Um, I don't know, uh, Pixar's soul uh, work, uh, if it looked like South Park? No, I, I don't think so. Um, you know, and, you know, you know, the, the, the Looney Tunes cartoons, they're so funny, you know, because of the visual language they were creating. But, 
you know, would it have the emotional depth of, I don't know, Toy Story? It may be difficult, you know what I mean? So, um, you know, being able to be adaptable stylistically, uh, and, I, and when I say style, I mean visual style, comedic style, movements, uh, the style of movement, um, being able to be adaptable to what befits the type of storytelling you're attempting uh, is crucial. It's crucial for an artist that's going to be working on different things. And it's crucial for a company as well. For writers who haven't really dove into animation, what does the script sort of look like? Like how much of the visual language is on the script? How much of that comes later with animation? How much collaboration is and everything? It varies. Um, It all depends on the writer. I mean, there are writers that um, are, you know, really familiar with animation, both with watching it and creating it. And those people tend to put a lot of visual um, description in the scripts. Um, And that's always great. I love to get visual description in the scripts. Um, And it gives us something to to jump off of with the artwork. There's also writers that are just purely about the storytelling and the characters. And, um, you know, their scripts may be just almost purely dialogue. and that's, that's, you know, also an exciting opportunity too, because then it's like, okay, I'm going to really kind of do this from scratch. So we get both, we get both. And sometimes in the same series, mm-hmm. we'll get scripts like that are just like extremely descriptive and then scripts that are not descriptive at all. So honestly, I would just say if, if anyone is um, a screenwriter that's interested in writing for animation, you know, I think the best advice I have if they're not animators is to, you know, remember that you're writing for animation and that you should be doing things in an animated script that can't be done in live action. Mm -hmm. That if an animated script, if you, if you could read an animated script and no one told you whether it was animation or live action and you can't tell if you're like, Oh, is this a live action or an animation? Or if you got an animated script and you said like, Oh, this, we could also shoot this live action. Then it's not an animated script. Right. There's no point because animation is so uh, labor intensive uh, and difficult, (laughs) challenging and specific. It's a specific kind of experience to watch an animated um, short or movie or show that like, don't do it. Just make it live action. It'll be way easier. You'll get funding easier. It'll be easier to make. But if you have an idea <clears throat> that like just couldn't work any other way. Well, then it's an animated script. So many cartoons out there, animated um, shows out there for adults, for kids, everything else. What kind of pressure is there just to make things totally different? Like how much of that goes into like a pitch or a conversation about a new show? Um, as a creator or as a company? <laughs> I guess a little bit of both. It is, it is definitely okay. different. Quite, yeah, it is two different I, sides I feel there. like the easiest way to make money as a company is to not make it different at all. Mm. Um, you know, and, and, you know, that's something we don't do. Uh, but, uh, you know, networks tend to like, look, I mean, look, people vilify any large corporation or any network, but <clears throat> for, for, you know, being unimaginative or the reboots and always just like doing the same thing over and over again. But look, they're the ones spending the money, not you. So it's like, these are companies, they're making an investment in something and you tend to make investments in things that you are familiar with, right? You tend not to make investments in things you don't even know anything about. And you go, wow, there's never been anything like this in the whole world, uh, tend to not get a lot of investment. So 
networks tend to like when you can say, oh, this is just like that thing that everybody loves that made a lot of money, but it's a little different. Right. <laughs> and here's how here's how it's going to feel exciting and new, even though it's a lot like this. Like, like, like I'll give like a great example is like the show Friends. You know what I mean? Seinfeld was a huge powerhouse hit for NBC. So they were like, well, let's make a show about a bunch of you know, young New Yorkers uh, that sit around and they sort of chat all day and they're sarcastic and they're really funny and they have these interpersonal dynamics and these wacky adventures, right? That describes Friends, it describes Seinfeld. But they took it in their own place. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. they, they took it in a new direction and they said, okay, you know, sure, we're in that template. Let's try to do our own things. And Friends is like an interesting show, you know, that's actually quite different from Seinfeld. But why did it get green light? I would bet a million dollars. They said, okay, you know, Seinfeld, it's a lot like that, <laughs> right? right. Um, so, so I would say networks tend to like things that, that are like other things. Creators tend to like things that are like nothing else, right? Mm -hmm. Creators love to come to us <clears throat> and say, okay, you've never seen a show like this. Or here's a show where there's no rules. Like we could do anything with this show. It's amazing. It's magical. We could go over here. It could be in outer space. It could be in underground. It could be this, it could be that. It could be funny. It could be sad. It could be dramatic because writer, you know, creative people like to lead exciting lives. So right. um, there's hopefully the best product is somewhere in the middle. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like it's not just like pure, complete um, self-indulgent anarchy, but it's also not just a, a, a corporate uh, product, you know, mm -hmm. so somewhere, hopefully somewhere in the middle. It's something that's just a like uh, the projects I like is when it feels like somebody just really was inspired to create something. And they said, wow, I have this great idea for something. I love great ideas. I'm a big fan of ideas and like, you know. I, I like I like to see projects when someone says, "Oh, I had this great idea, and this is the idea, right?" And rather than, "Oh, I was very inspired by this other show, and I wanted to make my version of that other show, so I altered it," you know, th that's a little less interesting to me. Mm -hmm. So, where did this uh, new idea come from for teenage euthanasia? Uh, this was from Al Allison Levy and Alyssa Nutting. They were the creators, and they um, are. Uh, artists that we've worked with in the past. There was a Alyssa, uh, I hadn't worked with in the past, but she's a writer. Uh, she's a novelist that I was a big fan of. Uh, and then uh, Allison Levy, we had worked with previously because she is the uh, co-owner of a company called PFR uh, that has created a, 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 a ton of really incredible programming. Uh, but we worked on a show together called Wonder Showsen, mm -hmm. And that's where we met. And we've sort of stayed in touch since then. And uh, they came to us with the idea fully baked and uh, they said, you know, we'd like you to visually um, uh, like visualize the show and, you know, make it look uh, unique in a way <clears throat> that befits the, the, the show itself while still feeling like it would be at home on primetime television. So um, the idea itself, I think it just came from the two of them, you know, batting around ideas. I know that they were really interested in, you know, presenting a female driven comedy which is really unique uh in, in animation uh and something that's true to uh character dynamics and personalities and i also know that they're both 
attracted to really dark material as well. And hence the um, funeral home mm -hmm. and the sort of post-apocalyptic Florida. So I think it's a, uh, my understanding from all of the conversations we have is that they really wanted to do a, a, a character driven story that took place in a really sort of dark universe. Hmm. So when you guys start something like this, are you sort of doing everything all at once or do you like, do you make all the characters first? Do you build the wor world first? Like what's some of the, the, the order of things? When we get it, when a project, you know, happens like this, where the idea is already, you know, comes to us, they come to us with an idea that we like enough to want to work on it. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> that is, that has no visual component. Cause sometimes come, people come to us and they are like, oh, I'm either an artist myself and I drew some ideas or I really like it to look like this. But in this case, you know, it really was, you know, they came to us. Um, you know, with a fairly blank slate. The only thing I will say is that they did have a, a cartoonist that they really liked a lot named uh, Abby that she did, uh, you know, uh, the initial like sketches. And a lot of it is based on the look of her cartoons, Abby Jane. And uh, so a lot of it was us saying, okay, here's the world. Here's the characters. Um, here's the environment. It's this kind of dark Florida. We have this, you know, Abby, the cartoonist, you know, her style was like a jumping off point. And then it was like, okay, how do we visualize this show? So usually we start with um, style frames, um, you know, inspirational art, kind of say like, oh, there's some different ways that we could go with the look of this um, before we define the specific characters. And then it moves on to <clears throat> character design, background design, uh, animatics, storyboards, animatics, uh, from the end. So it's, there really is, it's definitely not all at once. There's definitely a, you know, a progression that happens and you always sort of start broad and get more defined as you go. So, you know, design storyboards, animatics, uh, layout, animation, composite is typically the process that we use. And then are you guys making, are you guys thinking about pilot episodes? Are you talking about the whole season? And from within that, when do you start to define some of the roles of the world, like what the characters can or can't do and some of those things? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the pilots are always the most challenging part because you're doing a ton of work for one episode, which may or may not ever even become a series. So it's a challenge. Um, uh, then, you know, with with the, you know, as far as the rules of the world, you know, a lot of that comes from the writers or, or and or the showrunners. Right. So the idea of like, oh, these are the things we can and can't do Story, as far as storytelling goes. It tends to come from from the script. You usually extrapolate that from the script. That being said the animation we're constantly figuring out the rules like you know it's like where do we bend and where do we break is 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 you know a lot of the conversations that happen early in the process you know as far as like you know is this the kind of show does it move around like south park like weeble wobbles or is it like full completely fluid like a disney film like what 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 type of things can we do with this that are going to work for for us are those typically equal amounts of time like how much does the the type of drawing and some of those things change how long it takes to actually finish a project. It usually takes us a little under a year to do a typical series, which is between seven and 10 episodes. And then how many things are you working on at one time? Uh, maybe like, you know, quarantine aside and we're all kind of getting yeah. in and out of that, but like how many projects is your company working on at once? So, yeah, if you were to count like everything from 
series that we're making all the way to concepts we're pitching and scripts we're writing and designs we're doing and commercial projects. I mean, it's, it's, you know, probably almost like 50 different projects at any given time, but there's always a small handful, maybe three to five that are big productions, right? Things that are in full production. Like, like this year we did Teenage Youth in Asia. We also did a show called Swan Boy. We also did a pretty large scale pilot uh, for Comedy Central. Um, we're also working on our feature film. Uh, so those are like the big projects that we're working on. Uh, and, you know, like Teenage Youth in Asia alone had upwards of 150 people mm. working on it. Um, and, you know, so there's always a lot of things happening because like, you know, while we're working on one thing, we need to be developing the next thing we're going to be working on in two years. Right. Mm -hmm. Some of these things, teenage euthanasia, you know, we worked on this for almost two years before we even started the series. If you count like the initial pilot and the time it takes to get something, you know, uh, picked up and then starting production and all that. So, you know, animation takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time to get productions off the ground. So um, you always, you can never be complacent and just concentrate on what you're working on at any given moment. So you're always working on other projects at the same time. In addition to, we get a lot of commercial projects too. Mm -hmm. So you started this company when you were 22 in 1999, I think you said. Um, was there any philosophy you kind of developed over the years? Like when those, when you felt particularly struggling or like the company might go under or whatever it was, was, mm -hmm. it, was it instant success or what was your mental state to like know that you were going in the right direction or kind of in the right direction? I mean, I, I just, I think from the beginning, I've always led with, creative. Um, I've always led with the types of projects I wanted to try. Uh, I'm an animator myself. I'm an artist. And I, I think if there's a through line uh, for the 23 years that we've been open, uh, it's been that uh, I'm really proud of the work that we do and I enjoy making it, right? So um, I've always if there's any reinvention that happens in our company, it typically is creative reinventions. And it's times when we say, um, wow, we loved, we've done this. Now let's try doing this. That seems really interesting. Um, or wow, we, we, we've never gotten to do this. Let's try this now. Like for example, the majority of our two decades, we've done adult animation. That's what we're very well known for. And about three years ago, we started a, 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 a kid's company. Um, called Future Brain. And we've been developing uh, kids properties because it's something we haven't done much of. Like in the two decades, we didn't really touch that much kids, uh, kids entertainment. And now we're really excited about that. I'm, I'm developing a new show for PBS. That's a show that I created. And I've had more creative fulfillment on that than many things I've ever done. And I never would have thought in a million years that I would be doing kids entertainment because I was always so focused on doing adult animation. Um, so for me, I think we've always tried to remain creatively exciting through all of the years of work. And that, like you said, the times that are, we're struggling or things are challenging or maybe like, you know, our endeavors are not as fruitful. Um, it's always just the excitement of trying new things and doing new projects and starting new uh, ideas um, is, is sort of the, the, the driving force of the studio.
Have you seen any any major like um, shifts in in what kind of stories people want to see? So, for example, the first thirty years of Disney movies, usually there was a character, something changed, and at the end of the movie, it went back to normal. Where Pixar right. is more about one hero changes things for the better. It's totally different ending. Have you seen other things like that just in comedies or animation and in storytelling? I think the main thing that I've seen, especially over my career, is um, more of a broadening of the type of stories you can tell. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, animation, because it's not as... um, widespread as live action. I mean, if you compare the amount of animated movies to live action movies, I mean, there's more than ever now, Mm -hmm. but even like you said, the 30, the first 30 years of animation, if you count the number of animated movies that were made, I mean, like, you know, the first animated features were being made in like the thirties. So from like the thirties to the sixties, how many animated features got made compared to how many live action features got made? It's probably like, 3% of that, right? Right. So because there's not as much volume of animation being made um, as live action, I think that people tended to define it by the few that were being made, which tended to be Disney features. Mm -hmm. So you're right. For the first, I don't know, 50 years of the existence of animation, I think it's been defined largely by Disney, possibly Warner Brothers. And what I've seen in the past 20 years is there's so much animation being made globally, right? If you add in, you know, the proliferation of anime um, to the fact that there's adult animation and there's kids TV shows and there's kids movies and there's adult movies and there's foreign movies and there's movies being made in Europe. I mean, there's so many animated and, and TV shows made in Canada. It was just like there's so many TV shows and movies and uh, on the internet, there's so much animation being made that boundaries are, are beginning to crumble or have crumbled. Because, you know, for people, of, you know, in my generation, when I, because, you know, I was a child of the 90s, um, there was still, it was always, the big question was always, you know, can animation be for adults, right? It was like, is animation for adults now? You know, there's cartoons that are not just for kids, right? People would talk about that. Whereas if you talk to young generation, if you talk to Gen Z, they could care less if it's for adults or kids, right? Because it's all, also in addition with streaming, you know, you can, there was times when like, okay, Cartoon Cartoon Network played kids stuff. Comedy Central would play adult cartoons. Uh, Adult Swim would play adult cartoons. Nickelodeon played kids, right? But if you are a kid, if you're a Gen Z and you're watching Netflix, you can watch adult stuff. You could watch. You could watch BoJack. You could watch, you know, uh, animated kids movies. You could watch anime. You could watch Pokemon. You could watch whatever the hell you want to watch, right? Mm-hmm. And it's all together on the same screen, right? Just one click away. So. Um, that's exciting. So the fact that now I don't think like what you said, the specificity of, oh, a character, you know, faces a challenge and then they go back to normal. Like, I think that's, you know, a tiny slimmer, a tiny, 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 sli- you know, tiny little uh, um, 
uh, faction of what animated movies are being made these days. You know what I mean? So yeah. now there's, and like, you're right, there's, there's sort of the Pixar aesthetic, but then there's also the aesthetic of adults, which is a whole other ideology, you know? So there's just a lot of different ways to make uh, cartoons these days and, and to have storytelling that I just, I think that like you could really kind of do anything. So I think we're almost out of time. Thanks again for your time today. And I really appreciate your thoughtful answers. Yeah. Um, I usually like to end it. Like if, if you were starting today or giving advice to an animator or a writer of animation starting today, how might you kind of guide them to, to break out or get noticed or something like that? I would just say to be true to yourself. I mean, it's maybe it's, it's a, a little bit of a, you know, it's a little corny, but you know, you're, you're never going to succeed by, you know, trying to replicate what you think would be successful for you, right? The only truly successful things, and I mean both creatively and financially, come from someone's heart. And I mm -hmm. think that, you know, the best work is something that you just feel very passionately about. And even networks appreciate that. Networks, mm -hmm. you know, again, they get vilified, but as being like these kind of cold money machines, but really and truly networks, uh, they, they respond to passion as well. And I think if you're passionate about the work you do and it's coming from your heart, then I, I you know, I think whether it's, whether it succeeds um, in business or not, at least you've done, you know, the work that you dreamed of. Right? right. And that is a success. Thank you for tuning in to the show. If it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, the blog, the podcast, and my new book, Ink by the Barrel, which takes advice from these 200 plus interviews and more at brockswinson.com. You'll see the link in the show notes. Thanks again.